Hello and welcome back to Fitness or Fiction. Today we are talking about your joints, about why? joints in general. Yeah, why do they hurt sometimes when I do this? <laughs> Just don't do that, baby. That's why it hurts when I do this. And it's important to my lifestyle to continue doing this. <laughs> Cue the intro. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. So we're talking about why does it hurt? I think that's a common question we get in the industry. Someone comes in and says, it hurts when I do this. At least I've gotten it like that many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just when I... Uh, it's when oh, I twist right this down. way yeah, and yeah. pull it back and reach way back here. <laughs> <laughs> so joint stuff, it's kind of funny because there's like this, this standard kind of set of behavior that you actually see when somebody tells you about their joint stuff. Like when I first started talking to you about your back, um, it's like, oh, it hurts when I do this is one of those things you'll hear. It's like, oh, I heard it this long ago. And that's one of those things that you'll hear. And it's been hurt forever. A lot of people I find also have like a, like a limiting belief, like it's never going to get better. It's like an existential dread that is busted for good. Yeah. So there's two parts to that conversation. Number one is positive attribution theory. Positive attribution theory. <laughs> I turned into Professor Frank from The Simpsons there. <laughs> um, so when we start talking about positive attribution theory, it's, it's actually a psychosomatic issue. It's when, when somebody is expecting a certain outcome and, and that outcome is actually heightened because they expect it. And like Huberman has done some pretty crazy research on this stuff where they'll, they'll give somebody that's lactose intolerant a whole bunch of lactose including stuff. And they'll be like, Oh, this is lactose free. It's delicious, but probably not going to be very full because it's low calorie. Yeah. And they're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm really not full. I need more food. And they don't have any digestive distress. And it's like, A, that was super calorie rich and B, it had lactose all up in it. Yeah. It was lactose. Yeah. So and I'm not saying that everybody's like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm it's just a saying bit that on the placebo there, effect. Yeah, there is there is research out there talking about the idea that somebody's belief system will kind of model their outcome. It's kind of like learned helplessness in a physical sense. Yeah, like you got an injury and you're told if you do X, Y, and Z, you go to physio, you go at Cairo, X, Y, and Z, and they'll fix it, and you do it for two months, three months, and nothing really changes, and you stop going because you're tired of footing the bill and doesn't feel better, and then it's it's a forever thing. I tried to fix it. Nobody could fix it. Well, and I'd say that's actually the second component that we're getting into. Like, the first one is, like, your neurological uh, predisposition or attribution. And, and people say that's a little bit fluffy. I'm like, it's not really fluffy, though. Like, if you think about being stressed out about something that's not physical, if you get stressed out enough, can it impact your digestion, the way your stomach works, the way... Like, can you start sweating if you're stressed enough? Well, I was just telling you off-camera, if I get stressed enough, my left trap will start to tighten up and tingle and give me like actual pain signals just yeah. from stress alone. Yeah. So the psychosomatic side of things, let's say there was a situation where you had pain. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch that pain is imagined by people. And I don't want to be insensitive to that because I've been there. I still deal with a lot of movement stuff, but this is not a, supposed to be a sensitive or insensitive discussion. It's just the idea that this stuff exists. And 
the way that you conceptualize where you're at, the way you look at the solution, um, and the way you feel about where you're at can really impact outcomes. It really can. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of things, it's related but different. The narrative that you've been sold about the solution can lead to what you were discussing, which is the concept of kind of learned helplessness. Well, I've been told the story is this, and then it turned out to not be true. And then I tried to do all of this and it didn't work. So then, but then I feel this way. And then I was told to do this, but I can't do that because I tried that. And if that doesn't work, and I've run into a lot of people like this. The whole, this whole conversation is challenging for me too, because I've dealt with a lot of practitioners being physios, chiros, massage therapists, somebody gets injured, they go to their family doctor and the family doctor, what's the number one thing they say? Oh, just take, take a little couple weeks rest, just rest it off. Yeah, you know what? Just just let yourself get even more sensitized. Just just pain. don't do anything, and it'll probably get better. <laughs> Sometimes, but well, and the actual underlying belief system there is really funny. That like left alone, the body will return to its best state. That's very easily demonstrated to be false. Mm-hmm. So the the general narrative around that concept is just not right, and. The only time that would be right is if you're doing something actively to make it worse. Like, hey, doctor, when, I, when I'm on my knees all day laying carpet, my knees start hurting. It's like, well, yeah, well, that's probably some chondromalacia. You've upset the cartilage under there. Uh, probably don't do that for a bit. That makes sense. Yeah. But when you, when you take that and run it too far down the spectrum where it's like, stop doing everything and that's how you fix your body, that's, that's where the narrative gets broken. And that's where I've seen a lot of people get trapped. Mm-hmm. And like my dad, when he had crippling back pain that ended up being an inflammatory issue, um, we went to a spine clinic and his posture is like less than 10% aberrant, like outside of what would normal be. And the person stood in front of him and said, oh yeah, well, this is because of bad posture. And I was like, yeah, right. Like not a chance. A, the research doesn't agree with you. B, that's such a cop out. Like 10% 10% aberrance is causing pain so bad that this guy can't sleep at night. Are you kidding me? Like that's seriously, you're going to say that. Yeah. And this is a serious problem when it comes to joint pain because it is misunderstood by a lot of people and they're not bad people, but the misunderstanding is the idea that, well, if you do nothing, it gets better. I have multiple clients that they know if they stop exercising, things tend to roll in a snowball fashion to get worse. Mm-hmm. And that's especially with the people that I've dealt with that are dealing with neck pain. That's a, it's especially seems true there. And I've seen it prove to be true in the lumbar and, and the hip and other places as well. But especially with the, the neck pain clients that I've had, uh, we can keep them pretty much pain free as long as we keep them consistently active. Constantly moving. Yeah. So does this all like wrap around into this chart? Do you want to talk about that little chart right off the get go that we saw? The, the one on hyperalgesia. 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 It's my new yeah. word, hyperalgesia. You're probably so, suffering from hyperalgesia. <laughs> so upregulation and sensitivity to, to pain. Just basically pain, what yeah. that is. Do you, go through the chart. You were excited about the chart. Let's I like it. the little chart. Let's hear it. So like it's the top of the chart is like increased sensitivity to pain. And then if you pair that, it kind of goes in this vicious cycle of you pair that with incorrect beliefs on like, oh, just leave it alone for a while or just rest it or do these exercises that aren't actually like helping, which leads to uh, incorrect beliefs, leads to fear, which leads to reduced exercise, which kind of constantly goes down the road, the rabbit hole. If you just leave it alone entirely, when you go back to try to move it, you're going to experience more pain because it's, it's got the structure has gotten weaker now and then it's going to hurt more and then you're going to get more pain. Would frozen shoulder couple into that nicely? 
a lot of people when they have frozen shoulder, it's like neurological. They're like, oh my God, like they get nervous to like actually go through their range. Yeah, I can't do it. So I don't do it. So I can't do it is where that would land for me. Yeah, that's and, simplistically speaking. Yeah, and often cases, like there's a reason that you haven't been able to move it for a while and whatever, and there is a physiological underpinning thing. But to get out of that, like there's certain things that I really can't do with my legs some mornings. Mm-hmm. And if I grind on it, I can kind of get some of that function back. And that's the game that I'm playing, trying to just take these little wins one step at a time to get back to what I would consider closer to normal function. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that... Like I said, those, those two ideas, it's like, well, there's this, this narrative on one side and then there's like this sensitivity or, or the neurological processes that are there and then there's the underpinning beliefs on the other side that are really undergirded by this narrative that they've been sold. And there's two narratives that I really see as problematic. And we'll talk about just the one first while we're on this graph, but you know, the idea that somebody has more pain in an area doesn't even necessarily mean that there's more damage more damage at all um so it doesn't always correlate it does sometimes again i'm not trying to take anything away from where somebody's at but you know in a lot of cases it doesn't well that experience of like upregulated pain i experienced with my lower back because i like shied away from doing everything with my back and i left it alone entirely and then when i would try to pick up a 45 pound barbell i'd get like a little shock of pain but my brain would almost like increase it it's sending a stronger signal to try to protect you like at least what it thinks it's doing is trying to protect you and be like, oh my God, you got to be careful because you're going to hurt yourself. And that's when a lot of people get these injuries. They're like, they just start shying away from everything. Cause did it, did it feel like panic? Yeah. 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 It was essentially a sensation of panic. And it's like, you become afraid of experiencing that shooting pain or that aching pain, whatever pain you're experiencing, you become fearful of even, even, uh, walking alongside it. Do you know what happens when somebody hyperventilates? Panic. They seize up. Really? Yeah. So I've seen this happen. Somebody, well, that's like breathing exercises, right? They have like those hippie breathing clinics and stuff like that. And then you go and do some hyperventilate and guys will... They're not all just hippie clinics, but... Hippies. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen it happen where somebody thought they were hurt in the gym before. I was tending to them. They were hyperventilating. I was trying to get them to slow their breathing. They kept hyperventilating and I just saw them constrict and continue to like that that classic neurological restriction pattern and, and totally seized up like legs straight arms kinked like everything was seized and when you watch that happen to somebody it's amazing to think about okay well i'm more worked up over something than it requires right now can that have physical outcomes like yeah i've seen it like watching that person seize all the way up and then try to come back down from that and regain function again was actually really altering for me it was shocking it's kind of scary that um well, like forced breathing, like whether it's hyperventilating or just slowing your breathing down, like the, the effects that it can have on the body. Like, you it know, is, uh, like, it is the connect- connector between the parasympathetic system and the sympathetic system. So you, the things you can accomplish with it are shocking. Yeah. You explained that to me in a nice basic way, like oh, a couple of years ago, but you're talking about like how you can actually physically just stop your breathing for a while or you can speed it up. Whereas you can't really do that with your digestive tract. Like you can't be like, watch or this. I'm going to start yeah. pumping my stomach real fast. I'm going to squeeze that turd. It's not going past that level, you know? Yeah. Like, or you can't just sit here and think and you're like, have your heart, like just speed up, like boom, 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 boom. But yeah. with breathing, you can upregulate things or you can downregulate things. Like there's that Wim Hof breathing method. Totally. Yeah. And, and the, breathing. the way that I like to conceptualize that the best is to think about, well, 
I can't regulate a lot of these autonomic functions, which take up a lot of space in our brain. If you think about the calculations that are so precise to do a lot of the stuff we do and we don't even think about. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a lot of autonomic processes going on in the brain. What's something that's autonomic and can also be voluntary breathing? It's one of the only ones. So that's why it really changes your neurological function. But that side of things, when people realize that they are locking into a particular signal too much, it's like, okay, well, that always hurts. I'm expecting that to hurt. No matter what I do, I'm expecting that. And I've been sold a narrative. There's two broken narratives that I was talking about. There's the first one that's like, yeah, if you do nothing, you get better. Exercise is dangerous, blah, blah, blah. And that's a common narrative, especially people that are like, in the kind of 50 plus range. Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed that that's kind of a generational like push forward, right? Um, and then the other end of it is like, oh, well, I just have the tight hamstrings and you know, I just need to stretch. Or like, we're given these like reductionist garbage messages where it's like, oh yeah, well, I got some pain, but I just need to stretch my hip flexors more. It's like, well, have you been stretching? Yeah, but maybe not enough. Have you been doing it? Like, yeah, 10 years. Well, maybe it's not working. Like you were sold something that wasn't good enough. It, it just wasn't a complete story. Not that it's even wrong. It's just not a complete story. Mm -hmm. So like those, those things, even before we get into the actual mechanisms, those, I think it's really important to talk about that. Um, but even when somebody has been injured, it remember with your back early on, this is something that I do with a lot of my recovery and rehab people is being like, no, we're going to test it today. You're going to feel it. It's muscles. Don't worry about it but we're going to test it. We're going to take you past your comfort zone a little bit, something that you to will tolerate, but we're going to challenge that tissue. And then we're going to, it's going to be sore, but it's muscle pain. Don't be afraid. There has to be a level of trust with that too. And if you trust your doctor more than you trusted, like your coach or somebody else, like somebody that's trying to help you, if your doctor's like, don't load it, leave it alone. And you trust what your doctor said. They've been my family doctor for 15 years. Like they've been taking care of me. They care about my health and they trust trust that advice and say that you can't use it anymore, then that's where it's going to be. Like for me to actually challenge my back like that, it was like, it was like wavering trust with you. You're like, yeah, man, trust me. And I was like, oh, okay, Curtis. Like you saw the hesitation in my eyes. Like, I'll, I'll do it. But do you remember bit. why you trusted me anyways? Do you remember? You were interested in talking to me because I had resolved my own back pain before I became a competitive lifter. Well, yeah. And I was going to say that you already did that journey yourself, I'm sure, because yeah. you were told like you weren't going to walk anymore. No, no, it wasn't was it that, that bad. It wasn't that at all. Uh, it was, I had crippling back pain to the point where I was having a hard time even walking into the Cairo <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and that disc pain down my leg and my arm was just horrific. Mm hmm and they're like, yeah, listen, this is degenerative. So they were giving me no hope on it getting better. Not that I was, not that I was going to go down that road to the wheelchair or anything, but I had really bad days with that. Mm -hmm. And I was in my early 20s. So when we talked about it, we had all this overlap, right? And that, yeah. for you, that was social proof. Yeah. And it was still wavering. It's like, I know, I know you've done this for yourself and now you can lift a ton, but like, it, will that apply to me? Am I different was really the question, I think. Yeah. So... You know, getting through that was not easy, but it, it was multiple parts. And first, we had to make it so that you weren't scared to do things. And part of that process was showing you, here's how some things that you're doing is loading that tissue extra. Yeah. Right? That was part of it. We had to change your perspective on, well, this is dangerous. I can't do this and whatever, which is not easy. And then we had to break apart this narrative that you were sold. That's like, well, it's just going to be there and you need to stretch more. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so oversimplified there was fear there was oversensitivity to pain um working through all of that it took a second but 
I could tell you too, I had a lot of answers from a lot of different people as well, being chiros, physios, massage, who all had a different reasoning, like, oh, it's, it's your adductor magnus, it's too tight, so we're going to use Grastin, we're going to Grastin, oh, and then we're going to do IMS needles, inter, intermuscular stimulation, Stimulation. Yeah. we're going to do these IMS needles and poke you everywhere and jam them around, and oh no, it's actually, it's your piriformis, like, 10 different answers and no solutions. Yeah, and again, you notice what all those had in common? They were reductionist. Here is the path. Mm -hmm. And this was a multifaceted thing we had to do. We had to deal with pain sensitivity. We had to deal with underlying beliefs. We had to deal with technical faults. We had to deal with um, progressive overload. There was all these things that we had to work through piece by piece. Um, but you'll notice it wasn't like, well, this right there, that's the problem. And if that existed more, it would be so much easier, but that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. And this is when you start hearing me say, people still believe in magic. Yeah. So, oh, this one exercise to blow up your pecs. Why do people click on it? Yeah. Well, because it's likely untrue if it's so, so reductionist, but it's because they want to believe in magic. It would be so nice if that were true. And that's true with injury too. I think that's, that's a big part of why you see that sort of thing. Oh, a Dr. Meg, that's your issue. There's one exercise to bulletproof your back. I've dealt with that already too, with guys wanting like, like I want a reverse hyper machine because it's supposed to bulletproof my back. Or I'm going to do Stuart McGill's big three because it's going to bulletproof my back and fix all my problems. Yeah, man, you can have a, a really, really nice reverse GHD, be super strong in that. And then you can have a really faulty movement pattern in something that you're doing that just doesn't doesn't, doesn't allow click. your spine to do its job and it's still going to be a problem. Yeah. So yeah, it's not as simple as, as it's made out to be. And you know, for, for those of you listening that are going through this right now, we're not trying to say that, you know, it's so complicated that you can't fix it. We're not trying to say your pain is all in your head. We're not trying to say any of that, but we are saying that to come out of this realm, there's a lot of work to be done and not all of it is necessarily the exercise itself. Would you say that's a fair categorization? Yeah. I think I speak for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you do that. Um, in my experience with these issues, I think people give up too soon for the most part. And they try again exactly what I did. Because I, I was pretty much on the, re the realm of giving up. And I was actually going to give up on the industry itself. Because I'm like, man, well, if I can't lift. Like I had all my clients. All my clients at that time were stronger than me. in all lower body, body exercises. Because I've essentially given them all up until I met you. But your triceps were kick. Yeah. I had some beefy, beefy upper body. No. Um, so yeah, I think the only thing to take away from this, if you're listening for me anyways, is like, man, like you got to just keep going until you actually find the answer. Like, I don't know. That's expectations. I think that's setting reasonable expectations and that does help with the mental side of things and, and the behavioral side of things. Mm -hmm. We're like, what is my expectation? I have, I have a guy right now that I'm dealing with that has a, bad hip problem i tested his internal rotation on his hip that he says his one side hurts real bad i was like okay well let's see what our ranges look like internal rotation we're looking at negative 15 degrees Ooh. can't even get it even right it's like well man my hip would hurt if it if it had that much range too likely because like we have a lot of stuff we need to access there but he sent me he's like well i saw i saw what my kid could do for this drill today and it was kind of disheartening i just said to him i was like well but you're not your kid. They don't have a hip issue. They're a lot younger than you and they're a lot more active than you. So what I want you to compare yourself to is last week. So you were at negative 15 degrees last week. This week, can you actually internally rotate your hip? Yes. It's been, okay, so it's been two weeks and we've changed your 
availability for rotation, how much percentage? Well, over 25. Okay. That's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your pain? Well, I still feel it on the ice a little bit. It's like, okay, the same as two weeks ago. Well, no, but it's still there. It's like, <laughs> careful. Yeah. Careful. Like you're cutting yourself out at the knees. It's still there. Fair. That's fair. And it's reasonable. I'm not taking away from that. How much is it there? Like a hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent. How much is it there? Oh, maybe maybe fifty percent. So we cut it in half in two weeks. Yeah. Like this this self talk and attribution stuff is actually really important because you can come out of a workout that was a total win and just flush it down the toilet, saying, "Oh, well, I'm still in pain." The focus on the negative is so much easier. Yeah, it's like, man, I'm gonna claw and scrape for every single space I can get. And again, I've mentioned I do this in my life. Like when I go train jujitsu on Tuesdays, it is a confrontation for me, not with the person I'm fighting, but with heat. Mm-hmm. And as I get hot, I lose function fast. So the warmer it gets, the more problem I have. I'm not, a, I'm not out of breath. But once I get too warm, I can't even lift my left knee. It's hard to fight somebody when you're on one less limb, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, the way that I keep doing that, cause it's not easy, it's tough. And I choose to do it anyway. The way that I deal with that is I just think, okay, well, this week, is it any better? Have I come anywhere? And last week at the end of class, Sifu finishes his conversation, whatever. And then I, I go to stand up and I use the left side. I drag that left knee forward and I stand up on it. And, and he looks over. He's like, that was lefty too. Nice. Right? The first class, I couldn't even stand up to walk around and shake everybody's hands. Yeah. So it seems to me like there's these small movements. And those small movements, that's, man, an inch is sometimes worth a mile. Yeah. So I think we've beaten like the, the mindset neurological quite a bit. So let's what get about, in. What about the actual? Let's get into the narrative. Brass the, tacks. The actual what's going on. Why is it hurt? Burst Turks. Good into the burst Turks. <laughs> <laughs> the best explanation that I can put together based on a lot of time in the game is the idea that There's some sort of pain sensitivity true. What is there an actual issue? Usually there is some sort of issue. Usually if you've got all of a sudden there's a change, especially if it's not an acute injury, if it's like, I don't know what I did, but like, I just feel this. If you assess the joint, the joint tends to be the key. And I say that. Not an all problem. Not saying it's always the case, but it tends to be that way. So the way that I think about it is, let's call the brain mom. She runs the whole scenario. It's not dad, mom does. In my experience, not only with my family, <laughs> with my parents, mom runs the scenario. She pulls the string, she's most important. That's how it is. Yeah. The joints would be dad. Second on the totem pole. Still important, does a lot of work. But you know, mama comes in and tells you what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And the joint is actually really valuable because it has 360 degrees of feedback to give. So if you think about, especially like a, a ball and socket joint, which hip medial aspect of your knee, um, part of your ankle, your hip, your shoulder, part of your elbow, like a lot of these joints come back to this kind of ball and socket aspect. And it's because they have this nice 360 kind of gyroscopic feedback to give to the brain. So when somebody says to me, well, my hamstring's tight, I'm like, Whoa, wait a second, let's see what your knee and your hip can do on either side of that muscle. Mm-hmm. And if we can find restriction there, And restriction can be, I don't have access to working space or I don't have good control slash strength of this working space. If we identify a a discrepancy there, that's usually where it comes from. Mm -hmm. So 
we talk about, well, why does this joint bother me? It's like, okay, so joint level. You might not have access to a range that you require, in which case, what do we get? Compensation. You might not have good control, or you might be using a, a different structure to accomplish that, which is that compensation. So that would, we'd call that neural coordination. Yeah. Right. Um, I frame that for people just being like the body's always trying to take the path of least resistance, whatever yeah. it knows it's going to try to it's do gonna automatically. Use the stuff it's best at. Yeah. It's going to use the best. Well, and I, I could go off on a huge tangent on this one about people saying you have to use your shoulder blade before your arm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, our, our upper body has developed over eons. And the shoulder blade is a accelerating component. It should help your arm move further, not initiate movement. It's not, it's not an initiator. It's an accelerator. Yeah. So when we're doing rows and somebody says shrug back first and then move like this doesn't even feel good for me. It feels pinchy. But if I take my elbow and swing it back and let the shoulder blade follow, it feels really nice. And I've never seen anybody pull them over like, Oh, you know what? I gotta, gotta start this lawnmower. Like it, it doesn't allow for the proper, glide anyway so that would be a neural coordination issue mm-hmm. um, but most of the time when we look at something if, if we say okay well let, the hamstring let's use that as an example if we test out the hip and test out the knee it is almost every time that i've looked at a joint being like okay so um first of all do we have the appropriate ranges here and especially starting with internal and external rotation do we have that yeah okay let's check our flexion and extension see where we're at here okay this is where we're at good now if all of that's great it's it's like fine yeah cool let's let's check on coordination and strength and it's like okay so i had a guy this morning when i checked his strength his his ranges were actually pretty good in his hips and his knee i'm like okay so let's check on the strength of your quad cool let's check on the strength of your hamstring his hamstring didn't have the strength to get his leg past 90 degrees so he could bend his leg up to 90 degrees and then was stuck there could not get it any further hmm. so his hamstrings were just horribly underused. Like they're, they're not coordinating their movement right. They're not strong. So how are we going to stabilize that tibia well? Mm-hmm. It's an anterior knee pain. Shocking, right? So when we start talking about why does the actual joint hurt, there could be a number of reasons. I don't want to say it depends. But if you wanted to boil it down to something that often makes sense, it's like, okay. So either the joint itself is not having access to a particular range or isn't strong in a particular range. So it's avoiding it, which is the same sort of thing. Doesn't have access to that range or I've created a network around such an issue to compensate for it. And that's where my tension is going. Mm -hmm. So a really good example would be like, yeah, my shoulder is not stable. I've seen this a lot of times recently. Don't have any serratus. I don't have the ability to protract and depress my shoulder. Yeah. Oh, I've seen a million physios and I've done all this retraction and stuff. And I'm like, but you have, pain in your neck, right? Yeah. You check on their depression and protraction and it's just piss poor. So how can the shoulder stabilize with the scapula down there? It can't. So what does it do? It goes up to where it can use that big meaty upper trap, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, I've had neck pain for my client. Mandy has had pain in her neck for 18 years. She hasn't had a full night's sleep. And when she sent me a message saying, Hey, I slept the whole night last night. It was unreal. That to me is very exciting, especially because we've done very little neck specific work, Mm -hmm. a ton of upper back and shoulder stuff, because that's where we found joint limitation. Yeah. So why does the joint hurt? It ends up being this scenario where it's like, well, either we got hypersensitized to something and our belief system and the narrative we've been sold won't let us move beyond it. Or if we get into the brass tacks, 
Well, at the joint level, there's a challenge. And again, there's a broken narrative that told me it's a particular muscle and that won't fix it. So now I don't believe in exercise and it runs me down that same, same pathway. Yeah. And the last thing that I would say on this, I know I'm talking way too much. That's okay. But the last thing that I would say on this is that the underlying belief structure has to include a conversation on can this change? Mm -hmm. Because we were talking about Wolf's law earlier. And Wolf was a guy that he, he lived in the early 18th century or yeah, 1819 he was born. Um, I think that's called the 19th century. Yeah, it was, yeah. But anyways, um, he was born in 1819, I think. I could be off a little bit, but he came out with Wolf's Law later on, obviously, probably somewhere in the like 60s or something like this. Um, but his law was that if you apply an appropriate amount of force to a human skeleton, it will, osteogenesis will occur, meaning you can change bone density based on loading parameters, mm -hmm. especially if it's the appropriate load at the appropriate time. And then you obviously don't want to crush somebody. Yeah. Um, and if we know that to be true, and we know it's true when people talk about osteoporosis, why is it that people still assume that um, degenerative conditions at cartilage can't be adjusted? It's like, well, I have arthritis. It's like, well, like an autoimmune condition, like rheumatoid? Well, no, just regular arthritis. Okay, so why wouldn't you move that joint? It can, moving that joint properly can be anti-inflammatory. It can improve range of motion and decrease pain. Why aren't you moving it? Well, because I have arthritis. It hurts a little bit. Yeah. I'd go through that a little bit of pain so I can have the rest of the day without myself. Mm -hmm. And it also limits future degeneration. So if we know that joint level at the cartilage level, at the ligament level, if we practice a particular range, we can protect that ligament. If we load a muscle and a tendon, it will adapt. If we load a bone, it will adapt. Then why is it that we would assume that any part of our skeleton can't adapt if given the right amount of stress at the right time? Mm -hmm. So it comes back. I'm sorry. It comes back to the mental game again. I hate it, but yeah. Um, I was going to just touch on some things that you haven't touched on yet. And that's, that's um, for me again, I think you really need to find a good practitioner to actually assist you with these problems. They're very challenging to try to figure out yourself. I even utilize you to try to figure out issues like Curtis, my left trap or my hamstring, or this is a little funky or this is a little funky. And you always graciously give me a little bit of support, give me some guidance, show me some stuff. So you really have to find a good practitioner. And if your practitioners isn't working, then maybe you need to try somebody else. But what I wanted to touch on is when there's actual damage to the location, because we didn't really talk about that. Like if there's actually a muscle tear, let's say in the shoulder or something like that, in my experience, not to trash on practitioners as a whole, because I believe there's very good chiros out there. There's very good physio, very good massage, but I think it's dicey to try to find a good one. Just like it's dicey to find a good doctor, or a good dentist. Fair. So in my experience, I've had a lot of people just be like, oh yeah, we've been working on your shoulder, Curtis. It's probably torn. We'll do an ultrasound and an x-ray. I'm like, well, an x-ray and ultrasound is not going to really show you what you want. Like looking, oh, the, the ultrasound and the x-ray turned out nice. So the only way to tell there's a tear in there is an MRI. But we're not going to do that, especially in Canada, because the waiting list is five years. It's a year, two years, whatever. But you get what I'm saying. So when there's actual damage in there, sometimes, in my experience, it's just assumed damage. And then people back off of it anyways. So this is pathologizing things as well, right? Uh, remember when I said people like to believe in magic? Mm -hmm. Once you label something, it changes the way people look at it. 
Yeah. It, it changes a lot because their, their view of the, the issue starts running down a pathway on their beliefs about that issue now that it has a name, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's a relief just to have a name for it. And that's true. You know, when you talk to people that have been given, like, here's the actual issue. For me, my diagnosis was a kick in the face. I didn't like that at all, but I did like that it wasn't a mystery anymore, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say. But when you go ahead and pathologize, oh, yeah, well, you have a tear. You have arthritis. I think that, especially when you're dealing with doctors and, and people that aren't specialists in that particular area, they got to be more careful with pathologizing something. Because as soon as you tell somebody that, you're going to change their behavior towards it. You're going to make them wear this label. And it's a really tough situation to be in. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that when we talk about this mental game, it is very challenging for the, for the people that I have worked with, even some of the ones that we've kind of freed them from their limitation, it's harder for those people that have been pathologized and consistently told, well, this is your issue. That's how it is. And they've been assigned a certain value based on someone else's beliefs. It is harder for that person to step beyond it. Because mm-hmm. then it's not just them going after, well, there's joint dysfunction. It's like, well, this is arthritis. And when you mention MRI, if you MRI almost anyone's back that's over 35, you'll find disc bulges and all sorts of weird things. They're like, oh, you have degenerative changes. And people tell me this all the time. I have degenerative changes. I have degenerative oh. disc disease. It's like, oh, Everybody okay. does. So you're over 35. Welcome to the party. Like, correct. It's like, wow, what are you talking about? I'm 68. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're over 35. You're going to have aberrant findings on an MRI. And just because that's true doesn't mean that you can't get function back. Mm-hmm. My my wife's grandma, legend of a woman, she resolved a bulge disc in her lumbar at 93. She put in the time doing the exercises that she was given and resolved that sucker. So can it be done? Yes, it can be done. And I hate to say it, but sometimes it's actually worth just kind of working through the pain. And having said that, I'm not going to say, like, you should go directly at it and do things that hurt it. But I am saying, okay... You have a little bit of pain there. Do we want to do things that are going to make it worse? No. Should you still move? The answer is yes. Find things to do that don't make it worse. If you know nothing else, do something that doesn't bother it. Well, does it hurt you to go for a walk? No, start there. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing that we were Googling just before this episode was we were like just Googled like, what's the internet say? What does Dr. (laughs) Google say? So I typed like what causes joint pain and what... What, what, what do we got? Words that I can't pronounce. <laughs> oh, man. There was uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, Fibromyalgia. Ankylizing spondylitis. That's the one, yeah. Um, there was like, it just goes down this range. You can go down this rabbit hole of just like, oh, my God, it I must be, have this one. Could be I, necrosis. And then, I identify yeah. necrosis. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, no, I've been watching lots of Peach House TV. I think I got that cancer that's going around i got that mesothelioma yeah i've seen so many commercials i think i got i got some of the symptoms yeah yeah but the challenge with with that is that how many really good answers did we find we were scrolling down for ages like where does joint pain come from it's all like these pathologized conditions it's all like scary diseases and like life-threatening like life-changing problems well and it's weird because 80 percent of people are gonna well it's more than 80 percent but more than 80 percent of people are gonna deal with lumbar pain at some point in their life so you kind of have to choose how you're gonna handle that because i sit down too much (laughs) well and you know even sitting down you'll notice that you and me have been shifting around a lot in our talk here 
posture is only finding a position of rest. And for centuries, we didn't have a really comfortable place to sit, so we would just move around a lot. So variability is really important in posture. And there's a lot of really good research on that posture doesn't line up with dysfunction that well, but what really does is when you don't have access to a particular zone or control in that zone, it's going to be... If your posture is locked. Yeah, like if you can't get out of there, you'll probably have some problems, right? But this whole issue ends up coming back to a number of factors, and one of them is how sensitive is your body to pain, and there's a lot of things that go into that. And then it's going to be what narratives have I been sold, and even about what is my condition called can be a big deal. And then when we start getting into the actual dysfunction of the joint, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you hear people all the time, well, I I separated my shoulder this many years ago. Like, I separated my shoulder when I was in my early 20s. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm not concerned about it because I know what that is. It's two bones being held together by a ligament. The ligament is better now. It has a prism or a pyramid on it. So that that little pyramid on it is actually new tissue there. And it's stable as heck. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So I don't wear that as like a, a badge anymore. And that's something that to help somebody work through takes a second. You don't want to make them feel like they aren't being listened to or it doesn't matter. Or you're saying that it, it doesn't feel the way that it feels. But to move beyond that, they got to move beyond that, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm not saying that as somebody who doesn't get it. I'm saying that uh, having gone through it and it's hard work and it's challenging to move through, but um, it has been worth it. Yeah. So summarize of the episode, don't give up and find somebody who is actually going to continue supporting you and find an actual proper solution, I think. Somebody who believes in you that's willing to go through the hard work of figuring out the complex scenario you're in. I like it. Yes, sir. If you like this episode, like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube, leave us a review on whatever uh, podcast you might be listening to. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.